Good morning. Everybody doing okay? You guys good? Good. So for those of you that said you love the cold, are you guys happy? You happy with what we've had? It's ridiculous. It's terrible. It's awful. Yesterday was nasty. What a na- That's how you know it's, it's wintertime. In, in, in Tennessee, seems to have no real fall. It's like you go straight from like summer to winter. Um, it drops 30 degrees. It's terrible. But um, I rake leaves. I'm one of those, you know, I'm one of those people. I don't know if you're a judgmental uh, of, of, of leaf rakers. I'm a, I'm a leaf raker. And it's like this three month. Yeah. I mean, you guys ever get like that? You like kind of judge your neighbors over weird stuff. We're just being transparent in here today, right? And I'm one of those guys that like, I have like this three month battle with leaves. We have some beautiful trees, which I'm happy for. Um, but I hate when it rains and there's leaves on the ground because I'm obsessive compulsive. And so I have to make sure the leaves are off my yard and it's like a three month battle. And, uh, so I walked outside. I know I'm rambling today. It's our last service. I, I've, I've been doing this. This is my fourth time. So I just want to talk with you for a little bit. I <laughs> consider us all to be friends. So I just figured, you know, I can just come up here and talk a little bit. So, uh, I went out Saturday morning, you know, I was all excited. I'm like, I'm going to finish up the leaves today. And man, it was cold, it's like 31 degrees and everything's wet and you're raking wet leaves and that's it. That's uh, it's, this is as exciting as my life is right now, guys. You're seeing it. I, I rake wet leaves. Um, all right, let's get to the Bible. I'm blowing it. My last chance of the weekend and I'm not starting off strong. So we have been... Uh, We've been working through the book of Ephesians. People ask why I teach the Bible. I'm like, because if it's just me, it sucks. Like, I gotta, I gotta stick to the word. Uh, so we are, we're working through the book of Ephesians, which is in the New Testament, and it's a letter written from a guy named Paul. Uh, the majority of the New Testament are letters. If, if you've never been in church or never heard that, the majority of the New Testament is letters. And the majority of those letters were written to different churches, This one is written to a group of churches kind of on the west coast of what is modern-day Turkey in an area called Ephesus. And so the different letters in the New Testament were written to the churches, sometimes to encourage them, sometimes to warn them of potential dangers, to, to instruct them on how to be good Christians and to stay in the faith properly. And this one kind of has a little bit of all that. The big concern that Paul had when he wrote This letter to these churches is they lived in a very intelligent area. They lived in an area where there was uh, was very diverse. It was very affluent, which means they had a lot of prosperity and money. They actually had quite a bit of freedom. There was freedom to essentially worship however you want to worship. It was a lot like the United States is today. And in in a culture like that, an environment like that, something that can easily happen to Christians is false teaching can start to creep into the church. And that's what was happening here. So Paul was warning them, the first three chapters are all about how we're saved, why we're saved, we're saved by grace through faith. That's kind of the linchpin verse in the first three chapters. In chapter four, he says, because we've been saved by grace through faith, we are called to live at a very high standard. That's what we talked about last week. We are called to live at a high standard, not because God is some tyrannical dictator. We're called to live at a high standard because we are of high value. We are the only things in the universe that resemble God. We're it, right? We'll talk about that a little bit today. Um, We're the only thing in the universe that has the breath of God, a soul in it. So we are very special. So we are called to live at a very special level. Doesn't mean we're better than anyone else, but we acknowledge how valuable we are in God's sight, right? That's what we talked about last week. This week, we're gonna talk about an interesting paradox. 
And Jesus does this throughout uh, uh, the gospels. Jesus says things that at first glance, you're like, that doesn't make any sense. But there's a huge lesson in it. Let me give you an example. Jesus says in the gospel of Matthew, if you wanna be first, you have to choose to be last. That's odd, right? What he's saying is those that sacrifice and put others before them, you end up gaining a reward. You end up first, if you will, in heaven. So there's these huge lessons and, and things like that that Jesus would say, right? If someone steals your shoes, give them your shirt, Jesus would say. Well, that's crazy, right? But there are these huge principles behind it. Paul, in chapter five, at the end, and then roll into chapter six that we do next week, he's gonna talk a lot about submission. And here's one of these interesting paradoxes in the Christian faith, that one can only find freedom when they're willing to submit. And submission's kind of a bad word in American culture. But when we submit to God, we learn to submit to other people, and in that submission, that's where we actually find freedom. That's what we're gonna talk about today, okay? You're gonna have a, a great time this morning, maybe one of the best times you've had in, in a long time, this morning with me, talking about chapter five of Ephesians. Um, tell your family about it at Christmas. It's gonna be wonderful, okay? So you should have got a note sent out when you walked in. Has everything I'm gonna say in there, everything will be on the screens. If you have the Experience Community app, click on sermon notes. If you have one of these weird things, this is called a book. This one's called the Bible. If you go towards the back of it, chapter five, um, we're in the book of Ephesians, and that'll be the end of my sarcasm for the morning. I'm done. I've gotten it all out, okay? So let me pray. We'll jump into this, and um, we'll see where God takes us, okay? Father, Lord, we love you. God, I love this church. <sighs> all joking aside, Lord, uh, thank you for the opportunity to do what we're doing this morning. Thank you, God, for a, a air-conditioned and heated room. Thank you, God, for padded seats. Thank you, Lord, for a PA system so you can hear me and, and hear the music. God, thank you, Lord, um, for so many blessings that we often take for granted. God, we pray, Lord, that, that you keep your hand on our church today, that you bless us today. Uh, we don't just pray for our church. We pray for every church in our city. We pray for our other campuses and the churches in those cities, God. And we pray that as we study your word today, Lord, that, that ultimately everything we do, that it brings honor to you, that it brings attention to you, God, because we're indebted to you, Lord. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you, God. We pray all these things in your son's name, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're gonna read a little bit, and uh, we'll go back and break it down. Paul writes this, okay, very, very good stuff. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you as is proper for saints. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For know and recognize this, every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners. I highlighted the next three verses. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of goodness, righteousness, and truth, 
testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible. For what makes everything visible is light. Therefore it is said, get up sleeper and rise up from the dead and Christ will shine on you. So the first thing that he says that, that I think is kind of provocative is Paul says, be an imitator of God. So like I said, chapters one and three, how we're saved, why we're saved. We're saved by grace through faith. Because of that, we're to live a new life, chapter four. And now Paul takes it up a notch. Not only are we to live a new life, you're to imitate God in how we, we live. So what does that mean there? To imitate God in this context means that we are to live in love. Now, to live in love is not the twisted, bastardized version of love that the culture gives you right now in the United States. This is true biblical love. Do you guys ever get sick of hearing people say, and if you say this, I'm sorry, but I, I love you, so I'm gonna say this. Do you guys get sick of the, the terminology self-love? This comes from every corner, right? This is our culture. Self-love, love yourself, love, 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 you, you, you. It's all about you, right? The universe revolves around you. True biblical love is the opposite of that. It's not that we hate ourselves, but listen, it is impossible to truly love ourselves because we don't even know who we are unless we first love our creator, right? So real love, biblical love, denies self, not feed self whatever it wants, like the culture you're, you're living in tells you. Real love denies itself and is willing to sacrifice itself for God's sake, for the kingdom of God. So how are we imitators of God? We are imitators of God when we are willing to give ourselves up. How does that imitate God? Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus came to earth, became a sacrifice for us. He sacrificed himself for us. So when we live a life of sacrificing ourselves back to God, we are looking more like him. We are imitating him in our life. And so though Jesus forgives us, if we ask for forgiveness, we are to live in a posture, not only of gratitude, we are to live in a posture of, in a posture of indebtedness to God. To him, I owe everything, right? Everything I have belongs to him. It is him. I live in a posture of thankfulness and, and indebtedness to the one that paid off my debt. This is why Paul says in chapter four, I'm a prisoner of Jesus. That means that I have willingly made myself a slave of the one who saved my soul. This is the posture we are to take. Now, here's what Paul says. When we willingly live in sin, sin is rebellion to God, right? When we willingly live in sin, we are choosing to live opposite of imitating God. This is why Paul says sexual immorality, impurity, greed shouldn't even be heard of among you. It is fascinating in American Christian culture, we go to ridiculous lengths to justify living in sin even though we are a born-again believer or supposedly a born-again believer, right? We abuse the heck out of grace. Well, Corey, God is gracious. Paul dealt with this. He said, should we sin more so grace abounds? No, that's in the Bible. But problem is we don't teach the Bible and we don't often read the Bible. But Christians are to live in submission to the teachings of the word of God. Not only are we to live in submission to the teachings of the word of God, we're going to struggle because we're not perfect. So we lean into the Holy Spirit that should be inside us to help us 
overcome our sinful lifestyles. Doesn't mean that we're not going to occasionally sin or make mistakes, but that should not be characteristic of our lifestyle, living like that. And we can overcome a sinful lifestyle. And if we don't, there are ramifications for that, right? This is another thing we don't often like to do in church is we don't like to talk about the fact that there are consequences to our choices. And again, this is kind of a cultural problem is we are teaching our kids, we're teaching each other that there are no consequences to your actions. And unfortunately, there are. And the Bible says a life of greed, a life of sexual sin, a life of idolatry. Now listen, we don't use the word idolatry a lot in our culture. We have replaced the word idolatry with identity. Think about that for a second. You hear that word all the time. That has become the idol of 2022 in the United States is identity. But when we live a life of greed, sexual sin, idolatry, or any other impurity, it nullifies our inheritance that God wants for us forever. Now, some people will say, well, Corey, how could a loving God allow people to go to hell? Listen, we make that decision. It is not God's will that any of you go to hell. That's also in the Bible. God doesn't want any of you to go to hell. What God does though, is he gives us free will. He gives us a choice in this life to either accept him or deny him. And when we live our entire life saying, I want nothing to do with you, at the end of our life, God just gives us over to what we've already asked for. That's what he does. He honors our desires. God does not want you in hell. And listen, I'm not even convinced that hell is literal, literal fire and brimstone. I'm not, I'm not sure if that's a metaphor or not. I'm kind of undecided on that. What I know is this, hell is an eternity completely absent of any sign of the true God. Whether it's literal fire or not, it's gonna be a really bad place to be. Imagine a lot of people without any semblance or connection to any goodness whatsoever, right? So there is a price to pay for our disobedience. So what this means is we as Christians have to be anti the darkness. So since some of us in this room, all of you, whether you recognize it or not, all of us have been saved from darkness. Some of us have been in some very, very deep darkness. And because we've been saved from that darkness, not only should we want to walk as children of light, we should have a desire to help others escape that darkness and also walk as children of light. Living in the light is much better than living in the darkness. And so we not only speak truth, we have to demonstrate truth. We have to live out the principles of the Bible and be anti-darkness. Okay, so we have to live out the principles of the light, walk as children of light. Get this though. We also have to expose and identify what is right and what is wrong. I love what Paul says. Look at how good these words are. Do not participate in the fruitless works of darkness. There is no end game to darkness, right? There, there is no end to the pursuit of more material possessions. There is no end to the pursuit of more intoxication or sex or whatever. There is no end to this. It is, it is this fruitless pursuit of things that have really no value. And so Paul says, don't go down that road. So we, we have to not only not go down that road, though, we need to tell other peoples that that is a fruitless road. Do you know something else that I hear Christians say that I, I really hate when they say it? They say, well, I don't wanna shove the Bible down people's throat, I'm just gonna live it. Well, you're doing half of what the Bible tells you to do. You are to live it, but we are also to speak it. The Bible says no one, we're only saved by hearing the gospel. Do you know how you hear things? Someone has to say things. Someone has to go out and speak the gospel. 
It is, listen, if you have children in here, you need, to, you need to model what it means to be a good human, right? A good Christian. But we also sometimes need to look at our kids and say, listen, that is wrong. Don't do that. And we need to protect them from that. And so it's not enough to simply live the truth. We have to speak it. And we do this because we love people. Do you know why most people say, I don't wanna shove it down their throat? That has nothing to do with the person you're talking about. You, don't, you are the one that don't want to get your feelings hurt. You are the one that is afraid of what they're going to say if you speak the truth to them. But even if you hate my guts, if you're about to walk off a cliff and I say, well, I don't wanna tell them because it may hurt their feelings. If I love you, regardless of how you reciprocate that, if I love you, I'm gonna say, hey man, you gotta watch your step. Because if you keep flirting with that girl, it's gonna cause a divorce in your marriage. I'm, it's not me being judgmental, that's me loving you. Hey, if you keep treating your kids like this, one day they're not gonna wanna be around you. Hey, if you keep doing this, you're gonna get yourself in financial troubles. Hey, if you keep doing this, you're dishonoring God, man, that can separate you from God. I say this because I love you, not because I hate you. And so Paul, and Paul was, I, I can't wait to hang out with Paul one day. Paul was pretty brilliant. He incorporated, I think he'll wanna hang out with me too. Anyways, <laughs> Paul would incorporate some, some, some other writing into his contributions to the Bible. Paul would, would quote Greek poets sometimes. In this case, he, he quoted a Jewish hymn. And he says, get up sleeper and rise from the dead. And the reason why he quotes that is it kind of reemphasizes his point that it is only when we bring the light to darkness that darkness can become light. Uh, this is simple physics, right? If you go into a dark room and you turn the light on, there's nowhere for the darkness to go. It gets consumed and changed by the light. And so Paul is saying, when we bring the light, the light changes dark things light. And so we have to do it. We have to wake up and we have to help other people wake up. Now, the only way we can do that is if we are filled by the Holy Spirit. I highlighted verse 15 and 16 because I think they're, they're pretty provocative. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is and don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. So this is provocative to me because I feel like in my lifetime, I'm 43 years old, I cannot remember a time when I felt like the world was more evil. And Paul says this during the Roman Empire, he says, because the days are evil. So if we are going to live in the light, we have to pay attention to how we walk. Simple analogy, imagine if you're walking uh, down a trail, like a path, and, and if you're not paying attention, you may stumble over a rock, you may trip over a branch, there may be something hanging down there where you hit your face and you, you hurt yourself. There may be a venomous snake that pops out. I just have this really ridiculous, unrational fear of snakes, irrational fear. A snake pops out and it can be venomous and that can kill you. There's all these things that if you're not paying attention, you can stumble and get off the path. 
So Paul says, because there, are, there is a lot of evil around you, because there are a lot of distractions and temptations around you, he says, look at how you're walking. Pay attention to how you're walking. Which also leads to this. Peter says in 1 Peter that we are to be sober-minded and vigilant. This is why the Bible says it is a sin to be intoxicated. It is a sin to get high. It is a sin to get intoxicated. It's not a sin to drink a beer when you're watching a football game or, or have a glass of wine with your wife. But when we become inebriated, we have sinned. And the reason why that's a sin is because if we are not of clear mind, if we're not sober, we're not focusing on how we're walking. And that's why he says when we get drunk, we live recklessly. And this is simple, practical stuff. And this isn't just about getting intoxicated by alcohol or drugs. Man, we get intoxicated by, by affirmation. We get intoxicated by entertainment, by food, by all kinds of things that detract us from paying attention. But if we're not paying attention, there are a gazillion traps to get you off the path. There's lust everywhere, right? Everything is hypersexualized. Greed, there is division. This is the thing that everyone's trying to sell you right now, right? But every two years or so, division becomes the name of the game, does it not? We lose so many friends over things like politics. Let me be a jerk for a second. If you lose friends over something as dumb as politics, that is just stupid. That is a dumb thing to lose friends over. And there are so many Christians that take a lot of pride in that. <laughs> you know how many people unfriended me because of my views? Good for you, you're divisive, exactly what the Bible says not to be. The Bible says to live at peace with people and to honor all people. And this was, most of this was written during the Roman Empire. Well, but Corey, our government's corrupt. The Roman Empire, right? This isn't the first time governments have ever been corrupt. They've always been. And we're to live at peace with other, with other people. And man, no matter what station you turn on, it's all about division. That person voted differently than you, so there's no way you can ever be friends with that person. That is dumb, guys. I'll just go ahead and get off that soapbox. We'll revisit that in two more years, okay? We'll get back to that in two more years. Selfishness, all these things are traps around us all the time, so we have to be clear. Not just do we need to be careful where we're walking, how we're walking, if I'm walking down this path, right, and I'm paying attention, and if there's a cliff right over there, right, it wouldn't be very wise for me to see how close I can get to the cliff without falling off. So not only am I to be sober-minded and, and, and careful how I'm walking, it would also be very, very foolish for me to get close to what could make me fall. So what does that mean? That means if you struggle with alcoholism, um, put your seatbelts on, it'd be really foolish for you to hang out at bars. If your spouse struggles with alcoholism, be a good wife, be a good husband, and just don't have any in the house, right? Uh, Jesus made a reference to this. He said, do whatever you have to do to avoid sinning. He says, if your left arm causes you to sin, cut it off. Now that's a metaphor. Don't anyone go home and saw your arm off. But his point was, is do whatever you have to do to avoid Sinning. If you struggle with lust, it may not be a sin for you to watch, you know, Baywatch, but <laughs> maybe a sin to art. But, uh, but if you struggle with lust, I, re <laughs> I recommend maybe a better TV show. Well, Corey, I'll watch it for the plot and the acting. No, you don't. You don't. That's a lie. That's your second problem, right? 
We need to address that as well. The, po <laughs> the point is, even if something is not a sin, don't dabble around things that you may fall to, right? Here's the other side of that. There is never an excuse to sin. I just want you to soak on that one for a second. What we often do as Christians in the Western world is we try to rationalize our sin and there is never an excuse to sin, ever, ever, ever. Well, Corey, I was gonna starve unless I stole. Well, listen, the Bible says not to steal. It doesn't have any amendments to that. We are not to steal. Well, what if I would have starved to death? Well, if you were faithful to Jesus, you would have woke up at a great banquet. There's never an excuse to sin. We have to remember that. So we watch our path, we stay away from potential things that we could fall and, and stumble over, and we must also be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul says, instead of getting drunk on wine, which is symbolic of, instead of find, listen, instead of finding your fulfillment in the things of the world, you should find your fulfillment in the Holy Spirit and being full of the Holy Spirit. Being full of the Holy Spirit simply means we are directed, influenced, led by God. How are we filled with the Holy Spirit? First, we have to pray, right? We have to pray. We have to read the word of God. We have to ask God to fill us with his Holy Spirit. And this is very important. If we're going to be full of the Holy Spirit, any other gods that may be in our life, sins, things that we do that are selfish, we have to eradicate those things because God will not occupy the same space as another God. Matthew 6, 24 Jesus says, you can't have two masters. You can't call me your master and still follow the ways of the world. You can't do it. Jesus said, you're gonna love one and hate the other or love this one and hate that one. It's the 11 o'clock, so we got time. Let me tell you a story. You might've heard this before. Maybe you've never heard this. In the Old Testament, uh, one of the Jews' biggest enemies was, was the Philistines. Most people know that because of David and Goliath, but they fought the Philistines many, many times, right? One of the times that the Jews and the Philistines fought, the Philistines won, and they captured from the Jews the Ark of the Covenant, which was a big gold box that symbolized the presence and spirit of God, okay? So the Philistines won this particular battle. They got the Ark of the Covenant. They took it back to their temple of their God, which was a God called Dagon. They would have had a temple of Dagon about the size of this room. Uh, if you've ever been to the Parthenon in, in Nashville, it would have been kind of similar to something like that. And they had a huge 30-foot statue of Dagon in this temple. So they put the Ark of God, right, which is kind of symbolic of God's presence in the same room with their God, Dagon. The next day, the Bible says they come in and Dagon had fallen over. That's odd, right? So, so they put Dagon back up on its base, which good rule of thumb, if you have to help your God off the floor, maybe not worship that God, but they, <laughs> they, they put their God back up on his base and they leave. And then the next day, the Philistines come in and not only has Dagon fallen over, but his head and his hands had been severed. The moral of the story is God will not occupy the same space as another God. One has to go. The Philistines learned this and they got the ark out of there, right? They got it out of there. They don't want Dagon getting beat up anymore. So we have to, if we're gonna be filled with the spirit, we have to address that sin that is in us. And if we are full of the Holy Spirit, there should be evidence of the Holy Spirit. We should see the gifts of the Spirit working through our lives, Ephesians, Corinthians, Romans. We should see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, Galatians 5. We should be speaking the truth, which means the Word of God. We should be worshiping through song, 
well, Corey, I'm not a good singer. We turn it up really loud. You can't even hear yourself. No one else can hear you. You're fine. We got you covered, right? We are to be thankful and we are to submit to Jesus. Christians should also have a spirit of humility. Not just humility to God. As Christians, we should be humble to everyone around us. And that's what Paul is about to get into. At the end of chapter five and into chapter six, he's gonna talk about submission, okay? Submission. Now, before anyone throws anything at me, let me get through this part and I'll explain it. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing by water of the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. This is from Genesis 2.24. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each of you is to uh, each of each of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Okay, so submission is part of the Christian experience, and for the first four chapters, Paul has made it very very clear. Right, we are to submit to God. When we are submitted to God, there are different relationships in our life where there is this is very 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 important mutual submission, mutual submission. Remember that. There are three different kinds of relationships where you and I will mutually submit to someone else. The first one is marriage. We'll talk about that. In chapter six, he will talk about the relationship between a parent and a child, and he will also talk about the dynamic between a master and a slave. We don't have master-slave relationships in, in this time in our country, but we do have business relationships, boss-employee type relationships. So in all three of those, we are to mutually submit, both parties, okay? So verses 23 or 22 through 25 can also, this can, this can usually cause a lot of contention between people, right? What are you telling me? I have to submit to my husband like I'm less than? Absolutely not. Both genders are created equal. You cannot have the full image of God without both genders. Genesis 1 and 2 says this, right? That God made mankind in his image, both male and female. And both of these genders make the image of God. Now, because of social order, social order demands, though, that, that these two different genders work in unique ways to mutually serve each other. In this, wives are to respect their husbands and allow them to ultimately lead. 
The reason why I put ultimately in there is in a healthy marriage, both people lead. My wife leads my kids. My wife is in Shelbyville right now leading out there. My wife leads. But at the end of the day, I think because I I treat her the way I'm supposed to treat her, ultimately she trusts me to be the final decision. She trusts me to, to be the one to provide, protect, and lead our family, okay? Now, a lot of men are like, that's right, that's right, submit, woman. Hold on, tiger, let's keep, let's keep reading. <laughs> Wives are to, to submit and trust, right, with authority. Look at this, though. I think the husbands have a much bigger responsibility. The husbands are to dedicate their entire lives to their wife's physical, emotional, and spiritual welfare. Now, here's, yeah, here... <laughs> here's where I typically get the men, the men who come up and they're like, well, my wife doesn't respect me. Well, do you physically protect her? Well, yes, I'm a tough guy. Do you emotionally protect her? Yes, you know, sometimes that's questionable. Do you spiritually lead your family? Because I heard that your wife drags you to church every single week if there's not a football game on. I'm not trying to be, listen, listen, men always get upset when I talk about this kind of stuff. And just for a little bit of context, I was raised by a single mom. I have one sibling, I have a sister, I have two daughters, I'm married to a woman, and I have a female dog. So I've, I've had a lot of estrogen around me. So I might be a touch biased, but I am gonna say this. Society's biggest problem right now is a lack of men living in their identity as Christ and real men. Now, now that offends people, that offends a lot of people. I'm not talking about you specifically but it is, it is a huge problem. You don't have to raise your hands, but how many people in here were raised without a father in your life? I bet there's a lot. How deep are those scars? How many of those bad experiences do we attribute to God unfairly, right? How much damage does that do? Whenever we fail to live in our roles as men or women, society starts to fall apart. Now, listen, I'm not trying to be a jerk here, but we live in a culture right now to where we ask the question, what is a man or a woman? When we don't even know what these, these, these individuals are, how can we possibly know what roles God has called us to function in? Do you see the theological implications to the societal things that are happening around us? But here's the bottom line. Wives are to subject themselves to the authority of the husbands. Husbands are to subject themselves to all the needs of the wife. And in this, listen, when we're both doing what we're supposed to be doing, a woman should never feel oppressed or controlled or beaten down. And if a woman is being what she's supposed to be in God, a man should never feel less than or insecure or emasculated. So when we are doing what we're both supposed to be doing, it comes together, it makes harmony, it points towards God, and it honors God when we are mutually, mutually respecting and submitting to each other. And again, our society is awful at this. Because we live in an increasingly godless society, we have villainized masculinity. And I'm not talking about like drink a Bud Light and crush it on your head, pseudo-masculinity. I'm talking about true biblical masculinity. It's almost looked down upon that a man would work and provide and take care of and protect his family. They, they, they have somehow villainized things like that that were looked at as quite you know, admirable 30 years ago have now become, have become offensive to people. 
We have villainized proper masculinity. We have twisted femininity. Listen, I believe in feminism. The true definition of feminism is the equality of women in all things in life. I believe in that. Let me go even further and tell you that I believe this book is a feministic book in the true sense of the word. But we have twisted feminism to believe that, you know, like women have to wear combat boots and kick men in the face. And that's not true feminism. Feminism is an equality, not talking down or condescending or superiority. Man, I got two girls, beautiful, smart girls. And every single day, I'm like, you can do anything you want. You can achieve anything you want. As long as God is first and you're working hard, I'm all about that. But whenever we devalue marriage, devalue masculinity, bastardize femininity, the ramifications in our culture are atrocious. Step back objectively and tell me if I'm wrong. Look at the effects. If you study economics, look at even the economic effects of fatherless homes. Look at the percentage of children who are, are likely to not graduate high school or go to jail if they never have a father figure in their life. You go and explore that stuff on your own and tell me if what I'm saying here is wrong. When we are not living as our identity, as men and women, right, as Christ and in Christ, people get hurt. People get hurt. Things fall apart. So, Corey, what is the answer? I'm going to completely underwhelm you this morning. Let's talk about marriage. If you came in here this morning and your marriage is just, just a dumpster fire, and you say, well, what do we do? Ephesians 5 sums it up. Man, treat your, your, your wife like Jesus treats you. Jesus does not lord over you. He does not shove you down. He does not condescend you. He shows you mercy. He shows you grace. He shows you love. Yes, he also encourages and builds up and corrects if he has to. Treat your wife like Jesus treats you. Well, what, is, what does my wife do? She just needs to respect you. She needs to love and respect you. And if every woman in this room and every man in this room who's married did Ephesians chapter five, there's your answer. If we would get into the word of God, read the word of God, build a relationship with God and do what he tells us to do, your marriage will get fixed. That goes with your family situations. That goes with you as an individual. It is submission to God. So Corey, what's the answer? The answer is Jesus. Build a relationship with Jesus. Because here's the thing, with all of our relationships, when I start to understand who I am in God and when I build a relationship with God and when I'm full of his spirit, I start to see other people the way God sees them. And that means I treat them differently, that I never want to lord over or oppress people in my life. I want to serve them the way Jesus has served me. That I want to love them and sacrifice the way that Jesus has sacrificed for me. Not only is the relationship with Jesus the answer, when we are full of his spirit, we are given the, we are given the ability to be humble, we are given the ability to be wise, we're, we're given the ability to live in love. What is the answer to your problem where marital, societal, family, whatever, Jesus is your answer. A relationship with Jesus, reading the word of God and doing what it tells you to do. That is the answer. And you know what we've done in our modern society? I'm talking about in Christian society. We are so afraid to say that Jesus is the answer, right? Instead of repenting, we go to therapy. Instead of, you know, addressing certain issues, we, we, we do these other different things. I have nothing wrong with therapy. I go to a counselor. But what I'm saying is we, we have not let God be our all in all. We have not let God be the definitive answer to the problems that we have in life. And God has become more of a supplement than the cure. And that's a problem. 
That's a problem. That's why so many of us live in chaos. That's why so many of us have burnt bridges all around us. What is the answer? A relationship with Jesus is the answer. That is the answer. So we are told to be more like God. So without a relationship with God, we live in darkness. And again, any of you who came from darkness, you know how confusing darkness is. It's hard to see where you're going when it's dark. And this again is why we have such a confused society. And let me tell you, if we, if we stay in the darkness long enough, eventually it will destroy you. Eventually it will destroy you. So here's what we are called to do. We have to accept Jesus' sacrifice for us. We have to accept that Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood, gave up his body for the forgiveness of my sin, and so we can have a relationship. Jesus, who is God, right, sacrificed everything for us, and our proper response to imitate him is to be a living sacrifice back for him. You sacrificed for me, I want to imitate that sacrifice, and I wanna give my life to you. And when we become imitators of God, sacrifice in our life for God, this is when we walk in the truth. This is when we walk in love. This is when we walk not just in a sacrifice for him, but a sacrifice for others. This is when we walk in wisdom, right? When we're imitating God through a life of sacrifice. Now, if we are going to do that, we have to address our sin. The only way to address sin is we must know what sin is. This is in the Bible. Paul even says in this chapter that people who live in greed and sexual sin and idolatry will not have an inheritance. We need to know that. We need to know that to avoid those pitfalls. And again, maybe the reason why so many professing Christians in the United States still live in sin is because so many pastors don't even teach that book anymore. They're really charismatic and they're good looking and you know they wear the right clothes and they know all the proper lingo and they know more about pop culture than they know about the word of God. And that's a real shame because people are falling off the path all the time because the church is not teaching the word. So we have to address our sin and then once, listen, this is so important. Once we address the sin in our lives, it is then our job to go out and help people address the sin in their lives. And now Matthew chapter seven is one of these chapters of the Bible that people take way out of context. Everyone knows it, but they don't really understand what it means. And they even know it in the King James Version, Matthew chapter seven. You're saying, well, I don't know that. You do. Judge not lest ye be judged. So who are you with a plank of wood in your eye to pick a splinter out of my eye? That's what the scripture says. Now, hold on. What, that, that scripture is not telling us that we shouldn't say what is right and wrong, that we shouldn't make judgments. We are called in the Bible to make righteous judgments based on what he says is right and wrong. So not only are we called to make a distinction between what is right and wrong, what Jesus is saying is we first address the evil in us, the plank of wood, and then we go up to our friend who might only have a splinter, but we help them address that splinter in their eye. The, 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 the illusion is this, you know, though you may have a plank in your eye, I still don't want this splinter in mine. Can you help me? And that's what we are called to do. When we love others, we address our sin and then we help them address their sin as well. And the light transforms us and the light transforms them as well. And we are not meant to do this alone. 
Like I said earlier, and, and maybe some younger people in this room, maybe you haven't lived long enough to just see how rapidly sin is escalating, especially in the Western world. Man, I'm gonna tell you, and I'm not gonna get into details because, I mean, it's just, you don't wanna hear it, but before my wife and I were believers, we, we, we were exposed to some pretty ridiculous darkness. But I'm gonna tell you, 20 years ago, I got saved about, yeah, about 20 years ago, Man, things have escalated quite a bit in the last 20 years. Any of you guys know what I'm talking about? You in your 40s and 50s know what I'm talking about? Going to clubs 20 years ago doesn't look like going to clubs nowadays. Man, it's nuts. It has escalated. And in my short 43 years, I gotta tell you, I have never seen the days as evil as they are right now. We live in evil days. There are temptations and distractions everywhere. That's why we have to be full of God's spirit. This means you have to pray. You have to pray. Every day, Corey, multiple times every day. You need to pray. You need to pray for your kids. You need to pray for your family. You need to pray if you're married, your spouse. You need to pray for your kids' school. You need to pray for your work. You need to pray on your way to work. You need to pray before you go to bed. Listen, I'm pretty good about praying for the big things, but sometimes I, I feel like I'm bothering God about small things. And I felt really convicted about a week or two ago. Me and one of our elders, Derek, we were driving up to Bowling Green. I, was, I, I sold the coveted RAV4. Um, and so that, that car became quite famous. My dented up RAV4, they're like, oh, that, that's yours. I'm like, yes, yes, it is. Anyway, so we're driving up to see a car. Car was about $8,000, which is, you know, that's, that's about as much as I go. And um, we're driving up to see this car and we get close. And Derek, one of my elders, and this is why he's one of my elders, he goes, hey, pastor, let's pray about this car. I was like, yeah, that's a good idea. And I felt convicted that I didn't think to do that. And you know what's crazy is we get there and the guy never showed up, never showed up. And at first I was a little mad about that, but then I'm like, God, we prayed about this. The guy didn't show up. Guess it wasn't the right car. And now that may sound like a small, insignificant thing. Listen, if God loves you as much as the word of God says he does, Yes, he wants to hear about the big things, but don't you think he cares about the small things in your life too? We should even pray in those kinds of things. And we should strive to be directed by God. Listen, you need God with you all the time because the days are evil. I'm gonna go a step further. Not only do you need God, you need the people sitting around you right now. If someone ever says to me, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church, my first response is, show me anywhere in that book where that's even remotely condoned by God. It is not in there. From the very beginning of human history all the way through the book of Revelation that hasn't happened yet, we are called to be in corporate community like this at least once a week. The book of Hebrews says more and more as the second coming of Christ gets closer. You need this. I need this. We need community. We need accountability. We need the fellowship of it. We need this. We're not meant to do this alone. So we've talked about submission to God. We've talked about submission to each other. And one of those weird paradoxes is that we can only find true freedom when we live in submission. When we fail to submit ourselves to Jesus, we become selfish. It becomes all about us. And in our selfishness, we hurt people. We hurt ourselves. We hurt those around us. And here's a problem that we have, and a lot of Christians, I have this problem sometimes, is when we are not secure in our submission to Jesus, 
When we are not secure in who we are in God, we, we act improperly. We feel the need when we get out in crowds to impress everyone, like we have something to prove. When we get in an argument with our spouse, we feel like we have to dominate or condescend and talk down to, and it's because we have forgotten our identity in God. When I understand that God sees me and knows me and values me, and I understand my identity in God, I don't have to be oppressive over my wife. I don't have to win an argument. I don't have to impress you, because I know who I am, right? And I hope some of you hear this this morning, not just with relationships, but you don't have to constantly earn the affirmation of everyone around you. You don't have to constantly, and I, this is gonna sound mean, guys, but I say this because I love you and they annoy the heck out of me. These 30-second videos that all these people make, right, of trying to you know, show that my life is a constant party and look, I went grocery shopping. Like, oh, we all do it. You know, like all this stuff. If you are secure in who you are in God, you don't have to get a bunch of these to be valuable. Listen, seriously, do you guys hear that? In the time you're editing that video about the mundane things in your life, what's shocking is millions of people watch it. In that time, you could be raising your children or spending time with your spouse or reading a book. This is what those look like. They look similar to this. You can actually do something of value. But you know what our problem is? We're insecure because we don't know who we are in God. And when we don't know who we are in God, we're constantly trying to prove ourselves to the world around us. And we do that in our marriages. And it ends up, we end up adapting to a broken model. And then we wonder why we're unfulfilled. It's crazy, isn't it? That's the world we live in. My minor was in film. Again, it's the 11 o'clock. Let's just, let's just talk for a minute. My minor was in film. If you ever want to go to college and just pay for the most useless minor ever, film studies is it. That's what my minor is in. <laughs> and it's interesting, if you study the history of television and film, once upon a time, TV shows were 28 minutes long, two minutes for advertising. And that was your attention span was 28 minutes. In the 1970s and 80s, 28 minutes went down to 25 minutes because of attention spans. They couldn't, they couldn't do it that long and because of greedy marketing. So now five minutes of marketing and you going to the bathroom versus just three. In the 90s and the 2000s, TV shows went down to 22 minutes, a half hour because of attention spans and marketing. Now we have shows that are seven minutes long. Now it's 30-second reels. Now, they say in the marketing world, if you don't capture someone's attention in the first five seconds, these are the people we are becoming. Do, do you hear me? It's not about television. It's about once upon a time, we could sit still for 28 minutes. Now we can't sit still for six seconds. If we will let go, Corey, what is the solution? If we will let go, and trust God with everything, not only will he transform us, listen, God will give you a better existence than you could ever get on your own. You know, God has nothing to benefit from a relationship with you. I don't mean that to, to be mean to you or to me. God has nothing to gain from Corey. He made me. When we're in a relationship with Jesus and when we submit to Jesus, we are the recipients of all the rewards. When he made the sacrifice for us and then we make the sacrifice back, we're giving it all to Jesus, 
but all he does is bless us. All he does is provide for us. All he does is give us comfort and peace and joy and security. And that's just until he comes back and we inherit everything. There is no losing when we submit all, trust all and say, God, it's all yours. My money, my job, my family, my, my, my kids, my wife, everything, it's yours, God. And when we do that, he blesses us and we become wise and we become balanced and we become secure in who we are. We start to serve him well and not just that, we start to serve those around us well too. And we become more like Jesus, imitators of God to where it's, no, 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 you don't have to wash my feet, let me wash yours. I didn't come to be served, Jesus said this, I came to serve you. How, how counterculture is that to the world you're about to step back into? It's not about what I can get, what can I do for you, right? What can I do for you? These are the kinds of people we can become if we will just relent and submit to God. It's simple. You already knew all this, right? Easy stuff. Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you are in this room and maybe you are not a believer, maybe you're on a journey. I remember when I was on that journey at 22 years old. If you're on a journey, if you have questions, any of that, up here on my right, your left, Pastor Muhammad will be up here. If you have any questions for him, he would love to talk with you, okay? We'll also have men and women on both sides of the stage. If you need prayer for anything, and, and, and listen, you can get prayer for anything you want. If you're in this room this morning and, and maybe you do struggle submitting everything to God, Come up here and just confess it to someone. They're not gonna judge you. You're in the least judgmental church on planet earth. They would love to pray with you. They'd like to, 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 to join with you. And then the last thing is all the way around this room, wherever you see a lamp on a table, and if you're sitting in the middle on these posts in the middle, there's bread and wine that represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ, communion. What communion does is it reminds us that God sacrificed everything for us. And then if we will accept that, and then if we will live as living sacrifices for him, he will fill us with his spirit. He will be there for us. He will walk with us. He will not let us fall. And he ensures us that we'll be with him forever. Everyone is welcome to take communion as long as you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, okay? Let me pray for you. God, I love you. Lord, I love this church. God, first and foremost, I pray that we will all humble ourselves and even though sometimes it is, it is scary, God, to, to, to give it all over, I pray, Lord, that you would give us the strength to just relent everything to you, to give everything to you, to, to trust you with it all, to submit to you, God. Lord, I also pray that you teach us to submit to each other, whether that be in our marriages, whether that be in our friendships, whether that be at our job, whether it be with our families, our kids, our parents, whatever the case may be. Lord, let us not only be submissive to you, but Lord, let us serve each other and want to submit and bless each other. God, we love you, Lord. Keep your hand on everyone in this room. Keep them safe until we meet again, Lord. We pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you so much.